There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Matthew Appleby, editor of Horticulture Week, and today I'm with International Pheromone Systems Dr. Sam Jones for the Horticulture Week podcast. Now, Sam is an expert in the use of pheromones for biocontrol. He's an entomologist with a keen interest in insect taxonomy, chemical ecology and behaviour, and he's got a PhD in chemical ecology, a master's in entomology and undergraduate degrees in zoology and chemistry. Now, IPS uses his knowledge of chemistry and insect behaviour to develop new and improved products for the IPM, the Integrated Pest Management Market. A lot of his work is involving commercial partners and research institutes to develop novel solutions for the IPM market and resolve emerging pest issues, and we'll talk a bit about that later. But in his spare time... um, He's got a large garden, I think it's in North Wales, to maximise the variety of plant and animal species in the space. And that's what he's, he looks at. So, Sam, to increase that diversity in the garden, um, are there any lessons and parallels for your work life when you're working on, you know, diversity in your garden? Um, yeah. Hi, hi, Matthew. Yes. So um, to increase diversity in my garden, I've, I've moved house probably four times in the last six years. So I always have to end up starting from scratch um, and I often don't see the benefits of, of what, what I've implemented. But um, to increase diversity, it's, it's, it's offering um, a diversity of habitats for, for your species. And a lot of people know um, that you can um, plant a lot of wildflowers and, and, and flowers with high nectar content to feed your pollinators. Um, But there's also uh, other things you can do, um, such as um, providing refuges. So you can um, provide um, some long grass, tussocky tussocky grass, because uh, a lot of insects will overwinter in those tussocks. 
Um, log piles are always good. Um, I always add a pond. And so it, it's about providing lots of different habitats. I like to have a bit of bare soil. Um, a number of bees, uh, solitary bees, will um, burrow and, and produce nests in, in the right sort of habitat of bare soil where it warms up in the sun. So I'm very keen on, on providing these habitats in, in microhabitats in my, in my garden. And it, it does relate to work um, because one of the things that we're very interested in now, um, as we, we reduce pesticides, what, what we're interested in is um, using beneficial insects to, to try and control uh, pest numbers. So if we can encourage these benefic beneficial insects to our, to our crops, just as we do in our garden, then they're often able to um, keep pest numbers below a, a, a sort of a harmful level. So if you can provide um, food sources, so there are certain flowers that you can provide that's good for parasitic wasps uh, and, and other um, predators, um, a, a water source um, and um, long grass and, and sort of a diversity of, of plants near your crops, then um, you can quite often, um, hedgerows are quite good as well, um, encourage beneficial predatory insects to, to sort of breed and, and linger around um, your crops. So it does relate to, um, to my work. Ah, yes. Now, I was going to ask you a bit more about IPM and how it's implemented, yeah. um, you know, and the examples. You've given a few there, but can, can you tell us a bit more? Yes. Yeah, so um, integrated pest management, um, it, it's sort of, um, well, the idea of integrated control originated in the 1960s. And then um, the, the sort of the name integrated pest management, I think, was coined in the 1970s. And it, it's sort of grown ever since. Um, and the idea of it is to, um, to reduce the reliance on, on pesticides. And it's, it's basically a, a multidisciplinary approach. So uh, it involves using a wide range of um, different strategies to manage pest populations and keep them below a, a, a harmful, economically harmful, harmful level. Um, and these, these strategies, they can be um, biological, they can be um, physical, chemical or, or cultural. So, for example, with a biological, you, you might use um, certain um, uh, cultivars or, or varieties of a plant that are more resistant to certain pests, or it could be using biological pesticides or what we call macrobiologicals, which are predatory insects that you can um, introduce to your crops to, to sort of feed on the pests. Um, physical can often mean just a, a sort of um, physically removing the pest from your um, from your plant. So um, some people I know um, in gardens will um, spray. Um, I think uh, it's just like a detergent or, or a garlic. Um, another one's a, a, a sort of a garlic extract on your plants, or you can just physically remove the eggs. Um, then you have chemical. Well, chemicals pretty much um, the use of pesticides. The idea with IPM is pesticides have a place, but they're only used when, when all other strategies are failing. Um, and then we have sort of cultural control. So these are sort of traditional techniques that have been used for years and, um, and might in, involve um, preventing insects pupating in, in the soil beneath your plant, removing leaf litter and, and um, pupation sites from near your, your crops. Um, it might be tilling 
or watering in certain periods during the year to to reduce um, the buildup of uh, pest populations. So it, it's really using a, a wide range of strategies to to manage um, your pests, and it, it's not just um, applicable to agriculture or forestry or um, horticulture, but can actually be uh, implemented in in your garden, your home, and your garden. So um, it's basically the way that crops are now being um, managed in in most countries. No, that's a great overview. Thanks for that, Sam. Now, what about um, pheromones and semiochemicals? I guess that's pushing the frontiers a little bit more. Mm. Tell me a bit about them. Yes, so probably about 90% of the products we produce at IPS are are products that use pheromones for for attracting insects into a trap, basically. And pheromones are a type of semiochemical. And semiochemicals are, are chemical... Um, components or uh, basically messengers uh, so they're messages that an insect will will use and they can um, emanate from another insect or a plant so they can basically be used by insects of the same species or insects of different species the three types of semi-chemicals we're most interested in are pheromones chiromones and cinnamones so a pheromone is a, um, a, a chemical component that acts as a signal between two insects of the same species. So they're, they're basically messengers used between individuals of the same species. And then we have chiromones, which we're also very interested in at IPS. And these are signals that are used between species of uh, individuals of two different species. And basically the, the signal is... Um, produced by one individual and picked up by another individual. And it's the receiver individual that benefits from the, um, from the, the chemical cue. So, for example, we see this a lot with plants. So a plant will produce uh, a number of different volatile chemicals into the atmosphere when they're attacked by another insect, by a herbivorous insect. Um, and other herbivorous insects, so other um, pests, can pick up this these volatiles in the air, and they can use that to locate the plant to feed on it. Um, so in this example, the plant is is not benefiting by producing these uh, signals, but the pest is, and that's a chiromone. And the ones that we're most interested in, actually, are ones that are produced by a plant uh, and, and picked up by, by the insect, because we can make use of those, and I'll, I'll sort of touch on that later, probably. Um, the, the other semi-chemical is a cinnamone, and this, this is a signal that benefits both the emitter and the receiver. And this, again, can be used with um, plants. So a plant will produce these volatiles when they're attacked by an insect, by a, a herbivorous pest. But instead of being picked up by the uh, never herbivorous insect, they, they produce these volatiles to pick up, to attract a predatory insect. So um, you've got your parasitic wasps um, and... Um, and some other insects like hoverflies will pick up these uh, cues that are released by the plant and they know that they're being attacked by a um, herbivorous insect that they, their larvae or the adult will want to feed on. So that's a cinnamon. So it's benefiting the plant because it's bringing in the predator and it's benefiting the predator because it's going to a food source. So it's a bit complicated, but um, 
The one we're most interested in is pheromones because um, these, as I'm sort of touched on before, are produced by individuals individuals of the same species, um, and they're very specific to the species. And so we can produce a lure, an attractant. Um, so it's just a device with some of that pheromone on it. Uh, and we can put that in a trap and that will attract only that insect pest into the trap. And and that's really useful because obviously um, it avoids the, the attraction of, of beneficial insects. And so we can sort of manage or monitor for that pest uh, without harming the population of beneficials. Now I'm learning lots today. I'm enjoying this. This is uh, very beneficial to me. Now, can you give me a few more uh, examples of beneficial insects and specific yeah. crops they work on? Yeah. So I, I did actually, I did um, some trialling last year, actually. I'm, I'm quite interested in attracting beneficial insects to plants. Um, and it was very successful, actually. I did it in um, a large commercial raspberry producer. And there were certain chemicals that are produced by plants that, um, as I touched on before, that attract these um, beneficial insects. And there's quite a range of them, but the ones that I found that were attracted uh, regularly were um, uh, parasitic wasps, which I've touched on. But parasitic wasps are fantastic predators of um, pest species, tend to be very specific to a certain type of pest, and the, um, the liver lay the egg inside the, um, to then actually sort of pierce the larva or the, the pest species, the herbivorous host is what we call it. Um, and they may lay the, lay the egg inside the host or, or on the outside and then it um, hatches and then it will burrow in and feed on the... So it's not very pleasant. But they're very, they're very um, effective. A good example is if you've got in your garden aphids on your roses or on another plant, you'll see, if you look closely, lots of white cases... Um, and those sort of they're mummified cases that are left behind after the parasitic wasp has has fed on that host, uh, just leaving this sort of um, this skin behind. Um, so parasitic wasps are very useful, um, but it will they will also bring in um, lace wings. I think most people will have seen a green lace wing at some point, um, and they're actually very uh, useful predators because the adults will feed on the. Uh, of the pest species, but also the the larvae. Uh, so what they'll do is they'll lay eggs nearby, uh, near the, a group of aphids, um, and then the eggs will hatch into these um, nymphs or, or larvae, larvae in the case of um, lace wings, and they will then um, devour lots of these aphids. And they're really good predators, um, lace wing larvae. In fact, they're one of those macrobiologicals I mentioned uh, earlier, where you can buy from uh, companies. Um, uh, a, a sort of a sachet of them and you can and, and release them into your crop because they're very efficient predators so you can attract those we we attract a, a number of hoverfly larvae are very good predators of, of aphids and um but, well aphids in particular um and some of the very common hoverfly the most common hoverfly in the uk is called the marmalade hoverfly um and um that's one of the ones that's attracted to um these uh, these cues uh, as are some other ones um so they're uh, another beneficial and then there are um what we call pirate bugs or flower bugs which are a tiny little um or black and white or brown uh, bugs that um 
will um, they're again very efficient predators of um, the adults of the um, effective predator in that case uh, and they will tackle a lot aphids uh, they'll eat frips and, and a number of other pests as well how, how do you stop these introductions upsetting the local environment you know the local sort of biodiversity and you know unbalancing that um they will disperse so they're they're particularly effective when you release them in a glasshouse system because it's um it's more constrained um uh it's so it's enclosed and so you almost have a a, a sort of a non-natural ecosystem in a glasshouse um because you're introducing lots of these um, predatory insects. So the balance is, is certainly not what you would see outside. Um, if you release them outside, um, they will, a lot of them will disperse. Um, and you tend to not release huge numbers of them, just enough to manage. Because if you release too many, then um, you'll effectively um, they'll starve because um, they, they won't find enough prey. It's sort of limited to how much prey you've got there. So... Outside, it tends not to to um, make much difference with the ecosystem, and, and they tend not to be used outside because of that. They're not as effective. But um, inside uh, inside a glasshouse system, they've you would say that the, the sort of the, the balance of predators to prey is 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 much higher. But as a rule, it it doesn't affect the ecosystem because it balances itself. So the, a predator-prey relationship is, is um, always balanced in nature by the fact that if there's not enough prey, uh, the predator will um, either die or it, it will lay less eggs. The female will have um, less nutrition and so eggs don't develop. So it's a self-regulatory system. It'll always find a balance. So I would say it, it is not an issue. And as long as, of course, we're using native species, um, it, it, it becomes more of a problem when we introduce um, uh, non-native species. And also, um, there's always that argument of introducing sort of bees to pollinate your crops that have been uh, reared in um, these sort of um, systems where diseases may be prevalent. There is some arguments that you're um, introducing diseases and, and parasites into our native bee population from these bees that are reared in, um, you know, in, in these um, systems. Um, for, so people buy boxes of bees and they put them into their glasshouses to, to um, pollinate the crops. I don't know how, how much of a problem that is. There's arguments for and against that. Fair enough. Now, um, just very recently, the World Bioprotection Forum and 30 organisations have co-signed an open letter to the UK's HSE, the Health and Safety Executive, the regulators, to review um, the process of new bioprotection products in the UK. Um, and that includes uh, these semiochemicals. So what, what's your view on that? Do you think um, the, you know, this regulation needs to be reviewed and maybe relaxed? I do, because um, in the current system, um, basically we produce lures for monitoring. And when you produce a lure for monitoring, you're typically typically using maybe one or two traps with the lures per hectare. So it's at a very low density. Um, and so monitoring lures are not regulated. So we can sell those without uh, registering the products. But as soon as you um, sell the product for 
for example, mass trapping, then we have to um, go through the, um, the rigmarole of um, registering the product, uh, which is at great expense and is a very time-consuming process. And this is literally to use maybe 25 to, to, to maybe up to 50 traps per hectare. So it, it is a greater density of traps. But what we're releasing into the atmosphere is a very low concentration of pheromone. So each lure is only loaded with usually about one milligram of pheromone, and, and, and then that's releasing pheromone over a 30-day period. So very small amounts of pheromone are released. Um, and if you consider that... The, so you're releasing pretty much what an insect would be producing um, into the atmosphere, each, each insect that's releasing the pheromone. And so you're looking at, say, 30 to 50 insects in that hectare releasing a pheromone. And, and most of the pheromones, certainly the ones we use for uh, the moth, moth pheromones, um, most of the moth pheromones we use are what we call sex pheromones, so they're produced by the female, usually, uh, to attract the male moth. And even at the concentration of, of the density of, of 30 to 50 traps in a hectare, it's still a very low concentration of pheromone that's released. And these uh, moth pheromones are very non, they're, they're, they're pretty non-hazardous. They don't have anything like the, the um, toxicity or, or hazardous nature that pesticides do. So the argument, and we've been pushing this for, well, the body that we were affiliated to has been lobbying for this for a number of years now to, to reduce the registration process, reduce the sort of um, the time and the cost involved for the registration process for mass trapping, because the, the argument is that the, the, the concentration of pheromone that's released is, is not hazardous. And also the argument is if we want to still produce sufficient crops, we're, we're losing a lot of the pesticides um, and we want to promote this more sort of environmentally sustainable approach. And, and so these strategies using pheromones are, are good um, replacements for, for pesticides. And so moving towards these systems is, is, is environmentally um, friendly and ecologically sustainable. And so we should really be trying to, to, to make these, um, these systems um, more affordable for companies, um, companies like IPS. Now, fair enough. Now, it's a letter that we at Horticulture Week assigned. Now, just to finish up, Sam, we're going to ask you about um, current work you're involved in. What, what projects have you got that uh, are ongoing at the moment? We have a number. Um, the main sort of research we do is either to improve on, on products we, we um, already sell um, or to develop products that, um, that are new um, and to try and solve a, a new issue or new problem. And then we're, we're also quite interested at the moment in, in new technologies. So some of the things that we're, we're interested in this year is um, we're, we're looking into using smart traps. Um, so um, one of the products, we've been running a project for, for nearly two years now, um, and that's a, a smart trap to detect um, the coddling moth in apples, um, which is the, the sort of the main moth pest in apple crops. Um, and we, we're developing a... Um, a trap that detects a moth um, by the, the characteristic sound of its um, wing beats. Um, because the problem we found is that there are a number of people working on visual traps that use a sort of a photo that you can look at and, and hopefully uh, detect the, the coddling moth on, on, on a sticky board that, that it's facing down onto. 
The problem with that is that the moth will lie upside down or on its side. Um, and so we found that that's not an, an ideal approach. But by using sound, which is, is a novel approach, um, we found that we can actually detect the coddling moth from very similar shaped and sized moths. Um, so we, we, we've got that running and I've, I've developed a, uh, a pheromone lure for that, which um, uses a, a, an extra attractant in it. And at the moment it's working um, 500% better than um, all our competitors' products on the market. So we're quite excited about that one. Another interest of mine is, is um, developing something for um, attracting beneficials to crops. Um, so rather than um, attracting pests into traps, um, it's um, using these, these um, chemicals produced by plants that I've touched on earlier um, to, to attract these um, predatory insects into your crop. Um, and I've, I've sort of demonstrated last year that the, um, the formulations I've developed work very well. And the idea now is to prove that those beneficials that are, those predators I'm attracting are actually having a, a, a significant impact on the pest species. So we've got a number of ideas with this, and, and that's what we're going to be working on. The, the interesting thing is with this is actually... Um, I've, I've discovered that some of these chemicals that attract predators are also believed to be um, pheromones that plants use. So plants actually uh, use pheromones themselves. And so some of these chemicals they produce will um, be picked up by nearby plants. And what happens often is um, if a plant's being attacked by um, a pest species, they'll release these um, chemicals and other plants in the vicinity will, will detect these. And what they do is they then invest more energy, more of their resources, the, the water and the sugars that they're picking up, um, and produce a greater amount of defensive structures to fight off the, the pests once it arrives. So it's almost priming the plants to, to fight off the herbivorous insects. You know, on, on nettle plants, they have those hairs on them, the stinging hairs. So they'll produce more hairs on the underside of leaves they'll produce more um, chemicals that are distasteful to the herbivorous insect, or they may even produce a, a, a greater amount of um, uh, the cuticle on the leaves. Uh, it's a, a tougher cuticle, more waxy uh, cuticle to, to make it more difficult to feed. So I'm quite interested in that because that would be a, a, a nice way to, um, to, to basically prime plants your crop uh, for for um, attacked by the herbivorous insects. So, um, yeah, there's a number of things we're, we're, we're interested uh, to work on this year. Well, that's some interesting research and lots of things to look forward to. So thanks for all that, Sam. Now, I did say that was our last question, but it isn't because we've got um, a question which we always ask our guests at the Hot Week podcast, which is, what is if you were stuck on a desert island, what plant would you take if you only were able to choose one? Oh, it's tricky because I've... I have an obsession with umbilifer plants. Yeah. Um, but if I was to take a plant, and I'd, I'd, I'd love the oak tree because the oak tree has so such a diversity of insects on it. But I think if I had to take one plant, I think I would take an apple tree because uh, I get the apples off it, and I do like my apples. And um, they're also quite good for pollinators and, and diversity of insects. So I think... That would probably be the, the, the plant that I took with me. 
great choice, Sam. Thank you for that. So I'm Matthew Appleby, Horticulture Week Editor, and I've been with Dr. Sam Jones of IPS talking IPM. Now, make sure you never miss a Horticulture Week podcast. Subscribe to or follow Hort Week Podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your preferred podcast platform. And if you're interested in producing a podcast, contact matthew.appleby at haymarket.com and once again thank you and goodbye a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.